Welcome to the Dagger Report, Episode 4. I'm your host, your co-host, in fact, Mike Prada. Now, i got two guests on the line tonight. Uh, first, we're joined by my regular co-host, Kyle Weedai from truthofmatters.net. Kyle, how are you doing? Uh, I wish I could say I was doing better, Mike, to be honest with you. It's a little, it's a little depressing right now, but we'll get through it. Yeah, the, the Wizards are 3-9, and, and we're taping this, this segment, at least, on Sunday night. So the Redskins just you know, lost 7-6. So, not a good day to be a D.C. sports fan, not a good year to be a D.C. sports fan. But, we're also joined by a third guest, Jake Whitaker, the co-blogger from Bolts Forever. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing marvelous, because I am a Colts fan. <laughs> that makes you a weirdo. Yes, but, unfor- but the catch is, my boss is a Ravens fan. So, I have to live with that this week, and basically forever, because he hates Indianapolis. How convenient to uh, just be able to eschew the Wizards and root for the undefeated Colts. I like that, Jake. Yes. But, yeah. But I, I balance it out with the Nationals, so. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. I guess I, guess I can forgive you. Um, I will happily admit that, you know, when the Seahawks are really good, for no reason at all, I was a Seahawks fan. I just thought they were underappreciated and nobody liked them, and I felt like, you know, it was unfair to the Seahawks, so I decided to pick them up as their team, as my team, and then – kind of jumped off board after they started to stink. So I'm quite the bandwagoner, too. Well, no, no. My dad grew up as a Colts fan, and he raised me in the way of the, the Colts, I guess. Yeah, so I, I was there in the Jim Harbaugh days and the Paul Justin days, which were quite regrettable. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But anyway, we've got you guys both on tonight because we want to talk about the Wizards, who are now dropped to 3-9 after a two bad losses to Oklahoma City and San Antonio. And we're here because we wanted to talk about Gilbert Arenas, who is obviously the star of the team, obviously the guy when people think about the Wizards, they think about Gilbert Arenas, obviously the lightning rod of the team. And Gilbert has some choice words for the Wizards after the loss to San Antonio last night. Today, According to NBA.com, he said, quote, I guess when you start losing, everyone wants to start pointing figures everywhere else. I converted my game to try to get people involved, but at the end of the day, to be honest, this is the same team since three years ago. We had a couple of pieces, but everyone else is basically the same player. I'm sitting here thinking, do I have to go into attack mode like I was two years ago to get over this hump? I hope not. I hope we're strong enough mentally that we can get over this. And the reason I bring this up is because the other thing newsworthy item that happened with Gilbert Arenas in the past couple of weeks is that he basically decided to bring back Agent Zero, bring back his carefree attitude. No longer would be kind of sitting there being very serious. He was going to try to be carefree. And so, guys, in light of this quote by Gilbert Arenas and in light of you wanting to go back to being Agent Zero, what do you, what do you make of all this you know, stuff that's going on with Gilbert Arenas right now? Well, I mean, I think it's just something, you know, all the talk about Agent Zero being dead at the start of the year, I don't think he ever really went away. He just kind of went dormant for a while, you know, as all the pieces, you know, were coming in. He was trying to integrate everybody, but, you know, now that we're into the flow of the season, Agent Zero's back, and 
you know, it's he's going to stir the pot, and you know, clearly that's what he's done right now. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's funny. This guy in the past he's talked about a lot of swagger, and now it's like he doesn't even understand his own swag. And you know, I certainly understand him speaking out. That's I guess that's going to be good or it's whether he's dormant or out in the open or whatever. He's always going to kind of say controversial things. I just I wish he. I wish you were taking a different tone. Like, uh, take, I wish you would take more responsibility for what's going on, and he seems to be doling it out, which is fine. It's, it's everyone's fault, but as a leader, he needs to step up a little bit more in that department. Well, it, it certainly does make you wonder when you say something like that, and he has had his struggles with you know, turnovers and you know, had some bad, shoot, poor shooting games. Um, it does certainly make you wonder, you know, this sounds like he's pointing, putting the blame on other people. Now, it could have been just one soundbite that was picked out, you know, and I guarantee you that if Gilbert Arenas was asked, what about your struggles, he would say, yeah, I'm not playing well. So I guess, you know, to go back, though, to the whole Agent Zero persona, Jake, you mentioned how he, he thought this was not something new, that he was just kind of putting the Agent Zero dormant, you know, for a little while. Now, on his website, he had this video that, you know, was produced well before he decided publicly to go back to being Agent Zero. So doesn't that kind of add credence to the, you know, the fact that maybe he was planning this all along and that, you know, he was always going to be Agent Zero and it was kind of waited for the right time to bring it back? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really, you know, what it boils down to. I mean, you see that video and he's basically just, saying, hey, I'm Agent Zero, I'm the one that, you know, won the game against the Bulls that gave the Wizards, you know, their playoff victory. And, you know, without me, you just look like Bobby Brown and you can't make shots or do anything. And, you know, maybe Flip Saunders gave him the green light to officially go about it. But, I mean, clearly from that video, I mean, at some point he was going to bring it out because he's basically almost mocking himself you know, by not being Agent Zero and through that video. Yeah, I mean, I I don't get caught up on as much as the, the video and the marketing side of Agent Zero. I mean, we, we knew that he would have a website launching on Halloween night. Um, we also knew he had a book coming out. And we, these are things we learned about early in the summer. So, you know, I'm not looking at the marketing side as much. I just think he, he thinks he's really adjusted his game. And I really don't see uh, a lot of adjustments being made. I mean, he's shooting 39% from the field. I'm not sure where you can, who you can place blame, you can blame that on. Uh, he's taking more jump shots. It's up from, I look, I kind of look at the last year he did well, look at the numbers, and that was 06, 07. That year he shot 75% of his attempts were jumpers, and this year it's up to 82%, you know, and in 06, 07, 40% of them were assisted upon. This year it's 33%. So it's almost like he's taken more jump shots on his own in the offense, and I don't think he's done enough to get acclimated to what Flip Saunders is trying to preach. Do you guys think that there's a connection between the new Agent Zero, the whole, you know, let's see when I can bring out this marketing side of it, and the Gilbert that we're seeing on the court? Well, I mean, I think there's always kind of been a, you know, a very two-sidedness to Gilbert. He can play the extremely uh, aggressive, take the ball, the hoop, every possession, you know, for better or worse, Gilbert. And then there's the passive, yeah, I'll get 10 assists, but I might only take five shots and we might lose by 20, Gilbert. And, you know, there's always just kind of been that, back and forth, and I think especially with this new offense, he's still kind of trying to find 
the points where he needs to be the aggressive Gilbert or the passive Gilbert. And almost quarter by quarter, you can see where, okay, I have the green light to score. I'm going to go with it. And then other times he'll just, you know, especially now with Earl Boykins, he's playing off the ball a lot more and he's just not asserting himself in certain situations like he used to. And, you know, I think it's just interesting how, um, you know, how just, his personality differences, you know, between Agent Zero and the regular Gilbert kind of mirror his, you know, uh, differences between the aggressive and the passive player we see on the court. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I remember at the preseason, Flip Saunders said he would never play arenas off the ball. And, of course, you see that more and more, you know, whether it's with Mike Miller or Randy Foy or now Earl Boykins. But, uh, I mean, Mike, you seem to be, when we watch your games together at the Verizon, you seem to be pretty in tune with the team's offense and everything. How, I mean, do you think he's been doing a good job implementing the offense, or what's, what's your take on that? I think he's running it. You know, it, it is worth mentioning, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, that nobody has a tougher transition from one system to another than Gilbert Arenas. You know, when you this is why I, I personally get so mystified is why Karan Butler is struggling so much. I don't think his role is all that different in the two offenses. It's slightly different. There's some, you know, but, you know, I think less pick and rolls, more catch and shooting. But I think Gilbert's adjustment is much more difficult just because he has been for so many years the type of guy that, you know, he would initiate the offense, the Princeton offense, with a, with a first pass, and they cut through, and then if he got the ball back, he was probably going to try to shoot it. And I think in this offense, it requires a lot more independence from your point guard where you have these open shots that are available to you, but sometimes you have to pass up something open in order to get others involved and to kind of get this whole culture of moving the ball you know, going. And it's always your right as the point guard in Flip Saunders' offense to shoot the ball. Chauncey Billups shot the ball a lot when he ran Flip Saunders' offense. But Chauncey Billups would only would not shoot every time he was open, if you watch those old Detroit teams. And you have the power to shoot any, every time you're open in this offense, in Flip Saunders' offense. It really is a point guard-driven offense. The, the, shooting, the wing players don't get too many of the assists like the point guard does. They move the ball, they rotate it. But that could be anyone getting the assist. They're not the playmakers of the offense. There's only one playmaker in a Flip Saunders offense. And right now, I think what Gilbert is really struggling with is that he is getting these. There are times when he's getting open shots, and there are also times where he probably feels like if he passes the ball, then the whole thing breaks down because there's nobody else that's making plays right now except for Mike Miller. So those shots are always there for him, and he's right now he's taking them. And I'm not sure that's what he, I think he's struggling with when he says I had to change my game. It is true. He does have to change his game, and I think the way he's missing shots now is very different than the way he's missing shots then. But it's still he's still not there yet as far as what he needs to do in this offense, and it's a very tough thing to adjust to. And then, you know, now that they're playing off the ball, I think it's to try to get him to feel more comfortable. And I think it might be taking away from what he really. You know, I think he's pretty confused right now. Because you know, when he's off the ball, he's not the one that has to be making the plays. The shooting guard isn't supposed to be making plays in Flip Saunders' offense. They're supposed to be finishing plays. And so I think there's a lot of confusion from him there. And I think part of it, you know, the reason he wanted to go back to his old persona is because he thought that would make it easier on himself, and it really hasn't. Something related to that. What do you take of um, Gilbert saying, I think it was back after the Miami game when he had the 12 turnovers that he'd rather, you know, have a missed shot than a turnover. Do you think that's something that maybe Flip you know, initiated to him, or is that something Gilbert just feels on his own? 
Like, like I mean, I, I, I don't know if that was something that came about, you know, if he was just trying to save face after, you know, that 12 turnover, you know, performance or... Yeah, was... I mean, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, you think about it, of course, you certainly want uh, a miss from the hibachi over a turnover. Um, but still, it's like, all right, how do you choose between one or the other, Gilbert, and why can't you have a better shot selection? And why aren't they just falling? Even the open ones don't seem to be falling. So it's all like, it's a, it's a big state of mind thing for not only for Arenas, but for the whole team. I think that one of the reasons, and Gilbert's quote today did not make too much sense, I don't think, just because he was talking about how there are a lot of free agents, but yet the three core players in the team, or at the very least the two players, Arenas and Karam Butler, who are struggling the most, are not free agents. And I guess he could have, I don't really know who else he could have been talking about. I mean, Mike Miller's a free agent, but certainly Mike Miller isn't shooting the ball too much. And Randy Foy is certainly, you know, hasn't played much. So I, but I think part of his frustration is that everyone is adjusting to this offense. And like I said, he's got the hardest adjustment to make. And then he's looking around and he's seeing other guys like, you know, Karan Butler, I think, struggling with this new offense. And he might be thinking, you know, well, if you really think about it, my adjustment is bigger, and yet you guys are also struggling. You know, he was probably hoping that you know while he worked himself back, everybody else could really have adjusted everything on the fly, and he would be the only one that was kind of still coming around. And that hasn't happened yet, and I think that makes him frustrated. And so I yeah. think that makes him say something like that. You know, and because if you look at it, if you look at any of the ways, some of the stuff he's saying just doesn't really flow, follow. It's like. Is he really saying that? You know, are there really eight players in the team that are free agents that are sabotaging things? I mean, yeah. that doesn't make any it was, sense. It, it was curious, and I don't. It definitely wasn't necessary. But it's it's like, Arena, his life is in a flux, and he's trying to find some sort of balance, whether it be you know in his quotes or whether it's Agent Zero versus Agent Streamerol versus you know him getting mad at. You know, his his choice of words get him in trouble with the media sometimes, and he gets mad at that when it's, it's his choice of words. And so then he's trying to find that balance between being a scoring guard and a, a point guard, and he's just really struggling with the, with it on all aspects. So if, all we can do is really hope he finds that balance on the court and off the court, and I guess that's where this is where that all ties together. Yeah, I mean, I think more than – a lot of players in the NBA, Gilbert is someone that needs balance to be effective. When you take him off his balance, you, things can break down more with Gilbert than other players. I just, you know, he's just, I mean, it's weird to say because he always gets like a, a perception of being more centric, but I think he really needs balance and consistency, you know, from, from his surrounding, uh, you know, circumstances to really be as effective as he needs to be. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially when you look around and how everybody, people are coming, shuffling in and out of the lineup because they're hurt. You know, people are kind of starting some games. The rotations have not been so consistent because of injuries. The new, the defenses, they're switching between the man and the zone a lot. They're switching, playing him on and off the ball a lot. It just kind of gets the vibe that the whole team is tinkering. And it's like, it's almost like there's a lack of patience there in that if something is not working, it's they're trying to change streams too quickly. And I think a lot of that is really understandable when you have this many injuries and you have this much new newness to adjust to. And a lot of it maybe isn't. But I also want to ask you guys, and I asked 
you know, I asked, I kind of asked this question to Karan at one point. I was like, why do you think you're taking so long? It's taking so long to figure stuff out. And he kind of said, well, it's because we're all, you know, injured all the time. But I'm curious, why why do you guys think it is so tough for someone like Arenas to achieve the type of on-court balance you need when for some other players in the league, some of these other superstars like Wade and even Kobe Bryant now, had, you know, it comes a lot easier to them. Even Brandon Roy, for example. These other guys that are just as good as Gilbert is, but just have a meant or have it's much easier for them to balance what they need to do and play within a system and play their best within a system and kind of try to balance, you know, being aggressive and being passive. And why is it so much easier for some of these people than it is for Gilbert? And, you know, it's something I've been wondering for so long. Well, I, I think not to throw blame at Eddie Jordan, but I mean, I think because his role was so versatile, he, was asked to do a lot of, a little bit of everything. He didn't really have that clearly defined role that he does maybe a little bit more now in Flip Saunders' offense. And I think he's still learning how to narrow his focus on the court, whereas you know, Kobe's always had that role in the triangle. Wade's always just been Mr. Everything for Miami and, you know, Roy's always had his role in Portland, whereas, you know, with Gilbert, it's kind of redefining how he impacts the game as a player under Flip Saunders, and I think that's just throwing him for a loop right now. Yeah, I think you're right, Jake, because, one, you can almost blame it on physically being out for two years, but clearly he looks okay in that regard. I mean, he had that the calf strain, but so far, so good with the knee, but you're right. Like it's he's never no, Eddie Jordan was never asked him to do, but you know, but be a scoring guard and just go take care of business out there. And you know, maybe as long as he's away from the game mentally, that needs him. You know, need that time to recover. So I'm not sure how much we just practice patience when it comes to Gilbert Arenas and learning how to play like a, the point guard, the Wizards, or Flip Saunders needs him to be. You know, it's interesting you mention Eddie Jordan, Jake, because if anything, I think Eddie Jordan simplified things for Gilbert. He said, your job is to score. You know, when you get the ball, I want you to score. I want you to score out of the Princeton, and that's what you're supposed to do. With some of the other guys in the Wizards, I think, this is what makes this whole transition so interesting, is that someone like Karan Butler or Antoine Jameson, in the Princeton offense, they were the ones that were asked to be the multidimensional players, I think. Especially Karan Butler, I think, was really asked to be the do-everything guy. And now that Flip Saunders has come in, he's basically flipped the whole script because his system requires Gilbert Arenas to be the do-everything person and then the other players to kind of fit in. Now, Antoine Jameson fits in fine. He can fit in anywhere on offense. He's that, you know, be that smart, he's that skilled on offense. But when you, the Karan Butler is now asked to be the guy who who has a you know a very defined role, and he's not used to that. And he had it took him a long time in the Princeton to get used to being the do everything guy. You know, if you remember his first year here, he you know he came off the bench for a while. He didn't come on till late in the year because in the past he was kind of channeled into a very specific role, and now it's almost like the reverse is happening. He's being forced to he's being channeled into a specific role, and he's struggling with that. Whereas Gilbert, who had a very specific role in Princeton, now is being channeled into more of a you know someone who and has to be the on court leader. And Gilbert is a very smart player, but I think he's struggling with that. It's almost like Flip is 
Chrissy flipped the, the switch, you know, flipped the script, I should say, with those two players. And I think that's what's causing a lot of their problems early on. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, that might have something to do with the balance. And this, let's face it, Gilbert never was very, you know, always struggled with the balance, that, you know, the true superstar balance, if you want to call it that. The one where you're, you know, you're doing your thing well without monopolizing, you know, the ball and taking over the game. He's always struggled with that. You know, now that he's having the ball in his hands a lot, he's probably struggling with it more. You know, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, so what is it? I mean, with this team as a whole, and of course, it's Gilbert's the number one guy. I mean, there's no question about that. So, obviously, we're talking about him tonight because it starts with him. But as that translates to the team as a whole, how much is it at this point in the season, you know, 12 games in, is it, all right, let's continue to be patient or – does this turn into like, oh, something drastic has to, to happen, or like maybe a move needs to be made, or, I mean, what, at what point, what state are we at? Yeah, I mean, oh, I, think, I think part of the problem with the system is that it's a good system. They just haven't seen it pay off, in, you know, tangibly yet, whereas I think part of the reason why Gilbert and Karan were eventually able to trust the Princeton is that they saw that it worked. And I know that's kind of a catch-22. You have to do it effectively to see it work, but you also have to see it work to do it effectively. And Well, it worked in other flips other places, so, I mean, that's seeing it work. Yeah. I'm not sure I agree with that either. It's only because for one year, the, the, the first year Eddie Jordan came here, I mean, they were really bad offensively. I mean, Gilder was hurt a lot of the time, but in 2004 they really struggled with Princeton. And then at least with this system, not only has it worked in other places, let's be honest, it worked in the Dallas game. Yeah, that's true. You know, so I guess I could see that. I think just, you know, it's just very hard, I think, for a team to pick up something when their two best players are struggling picking it up. Right. And I don't think yeah. it's struggling out of a lack of effort. I just think that this is the mentality for both of them has been totally flipped. And I think they're struggling with that. And I'm not really sure exactly what the solution is. I mean, obviously, you have to stay patient. You can't give up after 12 games. And we knew that, to a certain extent, that this was going to be a tough recovery for Gilbert. You know, that's why I'm not like, you know, so, I mean, obviously I don't like what Gilbert is saying sometimes, but I'm not really flipping out about Gilbert. I'm more concerned about Karan Butler just because with Gilbert, we expected him to have trouble getting back into rhythm. With Karan, it's almost it's like a new system should cause you to have your game suffer this much. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I was, I was looking this up right before we started talking. Um, if you look at Gilbert's shooting percentages... The first year he came to Washington, they're very, very similar to his shooting percentages right now. Just, you know, whereas, you know, from going to Golden State, learning the Princeton, and you now going, you know, from learning the Princeton to learning Flip Saunders offense, it's it's just very, very scary when you look at the numbers, how similar they are. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but they're very close. And, I mean, true, when he first came to Washington, he had the abdominal strain and I think some other injury that slowed him down, but, you know, he's also coming back from two years off this year, so it's, yeah. it's almost like, you know, he's hitting the restart button on his career. Yeah, to, for the record, Gilbert shot 39.2% from the field in 2003-2004. This year, he's shooting 39% exactly. His uh, true shooting percentage in 03-04 was 51.2. This year, it's 49.8. So it's actually even worse. But that's also because Gilbert's missing more free throws. You know what else is the same is that in 0304 he had 4.1 turnovers per game, and this year he's averaging 4.0 turnovers per game. 
his turnover rate in 04 was 17.7. This year it's 15. So he was actually worse on the, turning the ball over in 03-04. But the other thing I remember from 03-04 is how, you know, you would start with Eddie Jordan about, you know, what is, what is the job of a point guard in this offense? And then yeah. Eddie Jordan took him to a Nets playoff game to watch Jason Kidd, you know, guy Eddie Jordan used to coach in New Jersey. And then that was a key turning point in their relationship. You know, they, they referenced it so many times in 05 when the Wizards were surprising everyone and being, you know, a pretty good team. That was a big turning point what they ref, that they referenced. So, yeah, there's definitely a precedent for these, you know, this system adjustment. You know, I think that that's absolutely true. You know, it's something that you guys have both made great points about. So does Flip take Gilbert to watch the Nuggets then? Yeah, I mean, our first game against the Nuggets is uh, February 19th uh, in D.C., so that's a long time to wait, guys. that again a lot of the the lack of you know this is all connected that all you guys have been talking about the Gilbert's persona which is he doesn't really know you know maybe he doesn't know maybe it was all a marketing gimmick but he might not know exactly how to take the right approach you combine that with all these rumors out there about his fiance which we're not even going to touch but those are you know certainly could be you know I don't even know what the effect is but it must there might be some effect there and then just the big on-court adjustments physically and mentally, it's pretty overwhelming, I think. And, you know, I think that that certainly causes a lot of the frustration we're seeing. And the concern is, is if there's other people that, for which all this transition is pretty overwhelming, then that really hurts Gilbert because, you know, I'm not going to say Gilbert is the type of, is, is, you know, it's understandable that he's going through all this stuff, but it's certainly, you know, it's a lot more off-court, you know, and on-court transitions than some of these other guys are going through. And then is that a yeah. fair thing to say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're totally on with that. And then, of course, the flip side, the flip argument is that, well, he's the highest-paid player in the team. He's paid to get to have the hardest adjustment, which is an equally yeah. valid point. Well, I mean, I think at this point, it's, as a fan, you still can't hit the panic button. You just have to kind of be patient. And, you know, Flip Saunders gave it a 20-day window. I mean, a 20-game window, excuse me. And so the next eight games are, you know, it's not nothing's easy, but they're all winnable games. You play the Sixers, which, you know, people will be motivated to face Eddie Jordan. Um, play at Miami, Charlotte at home, at Toronto, Milwaukee and Toronto at home again, then at Detroit, and then they finish that 20 games uh, playing Boston at home. So it's still like if they can turn it around and – start to write the ship, it's like we have a different conversation in the next couple of weeks. But if if they're going two and six in these next eight games, I mean, it still spells a lot of trouble for this team. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's definitely not time to panic yet. Um, you know, it's something we always you know kind of said in passing during the offseason. Yeah, there's probably going to be some struggles as everyone gets used to the system. And, you know, I think when we were saying that, I don't think, you know, we realized this is what it was going to look like. So, yeah, you know, but it's something, you know, it, it just takes some time. And, you know, I'm confident these, you know, we, we've got at least, I think, a fairly smart group of individuals on this team that, you know, know how to work in offense, you know, give them some time and 
it'll come around. Even you know now it looks like we're going to be without Miller for a while, but yeah, yeah, that's a big loss. Yeah, that's a very big loss. And, and, and you know, it, that's a that's a big time loss with the way Mike Miller's been playing this year. It just adds yeah, that, a sense of urgency that someone needs to step up because it's you know there's all this talk about how Mike Miller was a great distributor and he was really working on the court and the the team knew that so. Now that he's out, it's like they really need to, someone needs to step it up and, you know, they need to be distributors for each other. What do you think has to happen for Gilbert specifically, whether it's an adjustment in his mentality, an adjustment in, you know, where he's deployed on the court, an adjustment in who plays with him, an adjustment for the rest of the, the, rest of the team. What do you think has to happen for him to get out of this, this funk, whether it's on-court funk or his mentality funk or where he's not giving – you know, saying cryptic things to, you know, the media about, you know, hidden agendas. I mean, what what has to happen to get him out of this? Honestly, I mean, I know I've kind of said this, and I think he just, just has to have one night where shots just fall. I, I think if he can get out there, hit, you know, three or four shots, just, just get a little bit of that swag going, you know, back like the old days. I think, you know, things will just start to click, and... You know, once it starts to click, he'll start to be, okay, it's just like the old days. You know, my role's changed a little bit, but I can still be the player that I was. And, you know, I don't know if, you know, I'm not even sure if it's, you know, if they have to do anything personnel-wise. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, Foy, Miller, Foy and Miller both work well with him. Boykins, I'm still not sold on that, but... I know it's a catch-22, but if yeah, starts making some shots, I think it's yeah. a lot of problems. What I'm looking for, I mean, I'm just looking for this team to find a consistent rhythm for an entire game against a good team. You know, so we're not talking about a rhythm against the Nets, who are horrible, or we're not talking about getting to a rhythm and beating the Cavs because we let ourselves, the Wizards let themselves get down 17 to Cleveland, and they had to use energy to fight back instead of finding that rhythm they need to find as a team. So, you know, as soon as you see that game where it's a full, consistent effort throughout, um, as soon as you see that, that might be a sign that, like, okay, this team is coming together. Yeah, guys, this was a great discussion. Uh, Jake, thanks so much so much for coming on. When we get back, we're going to talk to another a blogger of another team who's having some early struggles adjusting to a new system. We'll be talking to Jordan Sands from Liberty Ballers about the Philadelphia 76ers, Eddie Jordan's current team. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Dagger Report. Welcome back to the Dagger Report, episode four. Uh, we are the Wizards are set to play their former coach Eddie Jordan and the Philadelphia 76ers on Tuesday, and because of that, we have a special guest. We're joined by Jordan Sams from LibertyBallers.com, SB Nation's Philadelphia 76ers blog. Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Um, you know, we. Uh, Share uh, former coach Eddie Jordan, um, and yeah. you know we're, we're here to talk to you. It has not been 
the smoothest of starts for Philadelphia this year under Eddie Jordan, kind of like the Wizards. Seems like they're kind of adjusting to a lot of different pieces. And now that it's been a few games, what's your general impression on Eddie fitting in with this team? I don't think it's working at all. I think I don't like the way he does things. I, as a matter of fact, I don't like a single thing he's done since he's got Wow. Wow. He's, the, the Sixers were a good defensive team last year. They weren't amazing, but they were pretty good. And they have all the same pieces, and now they're one of the worst in the in the league. That's the first well, thing that I dislike. The second thing, second major thing, is the, the rookie thing. You guys warned me about his hate for rookies, and he's completely botched the whole Drew Holiday situation. He doesn't play him. He plays Royal Ivy over him. And he, he has a... He has a very uh, short leash with Drew Holiday. If he comes in and makes one mistake, Eddie benches him for the next, not only the next, the rest of the game, but the next two games. It's ridiculous. Hmm. Hey, Jordan, this is, um, this is Kyle from truthaboutit.net. Um, I guess Jordan, Jordan coming in wasn't the, the only change you guys made. The other big change that stands out is Andre Miller is now gone. He's off to Portland, so the reins yeah. were handed over to, to Lou Williams. What yeah. type of effect does does that move does that move also have on how the team's been doing this year? Lou Williams isn't he's a, he is he's pretty bad on defense. There's, there's no denying that. But he's act, I think the team is actually better off offensively with Lou Williams because Andre Miller. I don't. He seemed like more. I, I don't know how to explain it, but he just wasn't good. I don't. He wasn't good on defense. He he was underrated, but. I think we underrated him to the point where he became overrated, and he right. he ran the team well, but he couldn't stretch the floor with the, he couldn't shoot the three ball at all. He he seemed to hog the ball sometimes and took took it upon himself to take too many shots, which might uh-huh. have been a good thing. But that's interesting. That's too many shots. Yeah, he he seemed to hog the ball sometimes. That. And he came into camp out of shape, like he did in Portland, and he played right. himself into shape, which wasn't fun to start the season when he was shooting 30% and turning the ball over so many times. I, I actually like the the Lou Williams over Andre Miller. I don't think that has anything to do with our bad start, although Lou's bad defensively. I mean, the argument that Philly was pulling out is that Andre Miller would not have fit in with Eddie Jordan's Princeton offense. Um, how are Lou and some of these other guys fitting into the Princeton as it stands right now? Honestly, I don't even see a Princeton offense. I don't, I don't know what a Princeton offense looks like. I don't know if we've been running it or if we haven't been. That's another thing that upset me about Eddie Jordan was it was a preseason game, and the Sixers ran the – well, at least he said they ran the Princeton offense for the first quarter. And then he said they weren't running it right, so they he just he scrapped it. He said, forget the Princeton offense, just run with it, do the run and gun thing for the rest of the game. And it's the preseason. It's time for you to be learning the Princeton offense, but he just scrapped it. So how are they going to learn so, it? Does it feel like the team is taking more jump shots? Because I look at uh, the stats for the 76ers. Um, last year, 59% of their field goal attempts were jump shots. Uh, this year, it's up to 65%. So, yeah, I mean, is, is it, you guys aren't attack, attacking the basket as much. I mean, you're also taking, attempting almost three and a half more three-pointers per game. So is it like this team needs to attack the basket more, or what's the issue on offense? Well, Andre Iguodala, 
he his shot has improved a little bit. Everybody knows he's not the greatest jump shooter, but his shot has improved a little bit this off season. And I think he's he he's trying to shoot more to show that he can shoot, but his strength is going to the basket. And I, I also think that's that's where Andre Miller his absence comes in because he he had a lot of backdoor passes and he had a lot of alley oops to Andre Iguodala and Sam Dallenberry and all those guys. Whereas Lou Williams, uh, he sets up guys, but not as well as Andre Miller. Yeah, I gotcha. You know, I've watched a little bit of the Sixers this year. It does look like they're running similar sets to how what the Wizards ran. It just doesn't seem like they're so comfortable with what they're supposed to do now. They don't. What I always thought about the Princeton offense on the NBA level was that it was too reactive. It was a very effective offense if you had if you had practiced it for a long time, if you practice all the reads and counter reads and all that. But it's very much based on the idea of take what the defense gives you. And I think in a 24-second shot clock, that can be really hard for some players to pick up. And when I have watched Philly this year, I've seen that a little bit, that they're just – they don't know – what the counter reads are. They're not, it's not really that fluid. Um, I'm curious well, if you notice the same thing. Yeah, well, we're, the Sixers are just a bunch of athletes, I think. There's not a lot of basketball IQ um, hmm. on the team, and I think that's one of the biggest problems. That's probably where Andre Miller is missed the most. Yeah. I don't, Lou Williams seems to, I don't know, he, he does stupid things sometimes. Thaddeus Young is lost out there, and he had a quote, uh, yesterday that says he doesn't understand what's going on and he hasn't grasped the offense yet, so that's a problem. And Sam Dallenberg is probably the, the, I don't want to be rude, but he's probably the least smart NBA player that I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. The other thing I'm curious about is how much of Philly struggles, because yeah, the offense is tough, but one of the big bottom lines is that until recently, Elton Brand just has not looked like Elton Brand at all. He looks yeah. like Elton Brand you know, half of what Elton Brand used to be. and I, I've compared him to Reggie Evans on offense. That's what he's looked like, and that's not a comment. That bad. Reggie Evans. Yeah, he's been that bad. But the last two games, he's actually been better. He had 22 the other night against Memphis on 8 for 14 from the floor, and then before that against Charlotte, he had 19 on 8 for 17 from the floor, so he's taking a lot of shots. And by the way, I picked him on my fantasy team, so he's not exactly working out for me either, Jordan. I advise people not to take him before before the draft because I saw in the preseason that he looked awful. Uh, I mean, I got him late on two teams, but, uh, yeah, I wish I would have talked to you. <laughs> what is, what's the problem then with him? I mean, because some people I've read just say he just doesn't have the lift anymore, and if that's the case... You know, sure, the coaching might stink, but how much coaching can really fix someone just losing it like Elton Brand seems to have done? That's one of the things I've questioned is I didn't watch Elton in L.A., so I don't know exactly how much lift he once had. I don't know if he was – I don't think he was ever an explosive athlete and he was dunking all over people. But uh, I think he used his length to do most of his damage. But I think the biggest thing with him this year – at first, I thought it was the lift. He lost it. But now I think that he was just not comfortable coming off two major uh, injuries. I don't think he was comfortable with his body. I know I broke my ankle once, and I was never the same playing basketball because I was always, always favoring that ankle, and I wasn't going all out because I didn't want to hurt my ankle again. So I think he wasn't comfortable with either his Achilles or his shoulder, and I think he's starting to come along a little bit and start to get more confidence in his body. 
Um, as we followed Gilbert Arenas the other night uh, after after the Wizards press conference, Flip Saunders said, you know, I always say as long as a guy is out, it takes that much long to get fully back. And I'm thinking, I'm like, well, crap, Gilbert Arenas has been out for two years. You know, I don't know if he had that much time. And, and Brand's almost a certain situation, the same situation, you know, 29 games last year, eight games the year before. So, I mean, you're curious if he, if it just, if it's just going to take time for him and, to, to get his rhythm back because we see Gilbert Arenas making these kind of careless turnovers. You're like, that's not, those aren't basketball plays, so you're still trying to get your feet back under you. I wanted to ask you, like, how much space was playing well, uh, the, the kid out of Florida? Um, he was playing well, and then, you know, he gets hurt for six to eight weeks, and now is, is it Bran is getting more chance under Eddie Jordan by necessity? Well, yeah, because when Spates was there, Spates was the – he was the fourth-quarter guy, and Bran sat the entire fourth quarter for the first however many games while Spates was there. And Eddie Jordan said, Brand isn't a 40-minute-a-night 40, 40 guy anymore, and Elton Brand isn't producing and all this stuff and calling out Elton Brand. And then once Spates went down, he was pretty much forced to play Elton in the fourth quarter, and he responded with his best game of the season. He, got, mm-hmm. he had that 19-11 game, I believe, and he had like six blocks and three steals. So yeah, I think that was partly Eddie Jordan for not playing him. He's our best lineup was with Brand and Spates, but he didn't roll with that. Well, when when the season started, one of my first questions was, Eddie Jordan was not a big fan of Brendan Haywood initially in this Princeton offense. Uh, I imagine things are going to be pretty tough for Downbeer because, you know, while he does do some good things sometimes, it, it just I don't know about the Princeton offense and Downbeer. And I, I thought that that would mean that, Brand, that Eddie would just get tired of him and eventually play more of Spates and Brand together. And that hasn't happened a lot. Why don't you think that's happened? Why why hasn't he played Spates and Brandmore? Well, I don't know why, but now that Spates is out, it's never going to happen. But see, I don't, I can't explain anything Eddie Jordan does. Why does he he benched Drew Holiday in the preseason? He he had a DNP coach's decision against the Knicks in the preseason because he said that uh, Nate Robinson would damage Drew's psyche because he's playing hard. How do you not play your first round pick in the preseason because you're worried about his psyche against Nate Robinson? Yeah, that's very that odd. It's almost like Jordan Jordan does more damage to his own player's psyche by saying that. And you know, we it's funny we experience that here where Jordan was this old kind of an old school coach when it comes to rookies, but then he's the the players' coach who can kind of manage a guy like Gilbert Arenas. So it it's very funny the the balance that Eddie Jordan tries to achieve sometimes. Yeah, you know, I it's a part of it I think is what I always thought about him was that you need you need a bunch of self starters around Eddie Jordan. And some of the Wizards players, especially someone like Arenas, you know, let's put it Arenas is a self starter. Arenas works really hard. Arenas is proactive. Arenas thinks all the time. You know, Arenas does all that. And you know, even and Antoine Jameson too is very proactive and you know doesn't need a coach yeah. to encourage him to work as hard as he possibly can. 
And yeah. Karan Butler eventually developed into that type of player. He had some problems with Eddie Jordan early on in his Wizards career, but he certainly developed into that type of player. On the Sixers, I see, and I think some rookies are self-starters and they don't respond well to a coach really with their head over their shoulders all the time and really giving, providing a ton of direction. Some players are like that. A number of other youngsters really need the coach to foster that type of, you know, type of confidence, that type of role-playing. On the Wizards, there were some play, some of the young players, like I think Nick Young, by and large, played pretty well under Eddie Jordan, especially considering how poorly he's played this year under Flip Saunders. But there were other players in the Wizards, like Andre Blatch, who, you know, look, Andre Blatch needed some consistency. He needed some strong direction over what he's supposed to do because he has so many things that he can do well, but he needs some kind of specific thing for him to focus on. And I look at some of Philly's young players, and I see a lot of guys that, even like, like Holiday, like Thaddeus Young, who have a ton of skill and a ton of different things they bring to the table, but don't always know when they're supposed to bring what skill there. And I think that that's kind of causing some of these problems because Eddie is the type of coach that will kind of let the young players do their thing instead of channeling them into some specific thing that he wants them to do. And I think that's kind of what, you know, is both a, a blessing and a curse of Eddie Jordan, you know, as a coach. I think the Wizards kind of experienced that, and I think now Philly's experiencing it. The thing with Holiday is his biggest strength is, is his defense. And I think if you're a good defender – um, at any level, you can be a good defender in the NBA. And it, there's no doubt that he's better than Royal Ivy right now. I'm not saying Drew Holiday should play 20 minutes a night, but I think he should get like 5 to 10 minutes a night. I think he should play over Royal Ivy in any circumstance. And the thing with Jordan is, is speaking of Drew's psyche, last night Drew got in for four minutes, and you could totally tell that he was trying to do everything he could to try to earn more playing time because he knew that if he made one mistake or if he didn't do enough that Jordan would bench him for the rest of the game. So what happened was Drew ended up playing four minutes and took five bad shots and was really forcing things. And then uh, right on cue, he got benched for the rest of the game. So I think Eddie's doing more to Drew's psyche than anybody else. He played 51 minutes, total minutes over seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's interesting because you know what that sounds, Kyle. You know what that sounds a lot like. It sounds a lot like the whole Brendan Haywood and Tom Thomas battle. Brendan had a quote in the paper today that said they kind of Eddie's default strategy was to pit the two against each other and hope that they were both motivated to beat each other and that motivation would cause better play. And so he would kind of play these little tricks to try to get them to be more motivated. And I think, again, for some players, that works very well. I think that would have worked very well for Gilbert Arenas. If Gilbert Arenas was slighted, he would have, you know, done everything he could to prove, you know, that, that he was deserved the playing time. For other players, I'm just not so sure. And I think sometimes one of the things that frustrated me a little about Eddie Jordan is that sometimes his – he doesn't really foster a very consistent playing rotation because I think he, he's like the mad scientist that draws up all these different possibilities and all these different ways to kind of attack a defense in theory, not remembering sometimes or losing track sometimes of the fact that he's dealing with human beings here that need some sort of you know, consistency sometimes. And I think, you know, it's, again, it's both a blessing and a curse. You know, every, people would always say that Jordan is one of the most innovative coaches in the league, and that's certainly true, but sometimes – 
you need to you, you can't out innovate your players. I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. So that that's why this whole Drew Holiday thing seems so interesting because uh, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't think he should be playing that much. And I, I I must say I haven't been quite as impressed by him as you have. But I do think that you know four minutes a game every three games, and then you know when you don't have consistent a consistent role, it definitely causes alters the way you play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not like I said. I'm not saying that he's the greatest. I just think that. First of all, he's 19, and he's he. Sh- I hope he has a pretty big future with the Sixers, as opposed to Royal Ivy, who's he does nothing for. He he doesn't have a future. He's not. He might be like this is being generous, but he might be one percent better than Drew Holiday would be in a game. But why are you playing this guy when he's never gonna? He's not gonna be a part of your future at all. Switching directions a little bit back to the, the defense, I know in the past the Sixers would give the Wizards fits. I mean, especially last year when there was not much point guard play, but you know, the Sixers would press a little bit and really force opponents, and especially the Wizards, into turnovers. I have not had a chance to watch the Sixers as much this year. Are they still kind of doing that? Are they trying to press and get after teams and go on that, that run they, would used to go, they, they used to go on? Yeah, they're pressing teams, but it's just they don't seem to be running. They don't seem to be getting the turnovers as much like yeah. they have in the past. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, I, I'm looking here. Philly's 20th in pace this year, so they are playing much slower than you would think. By and large, what do you think is the problem for them on defense? Why have they fallen off so much, and what areas have they fallen off so much? Their rotation, their defensive rotations are just – it seems like people don't know – what they're doing and when they should help, when they should, you know, rotate, who they should rotate to. And the three-point defense has just been awful. And it has been in years past. (laughs) I'm not going to blame that all on Eddie Jordan. But it's gotten worse. And another thing is Lou Williams uh, is very inconsistent when stopping penetration from the opposing Mm -hmm. point guard. So that that kills us because that causes the overhelping and that causes the missed rotations, and that causes the wide-open three-point shot. Mm-hmm. I had a theory when Eddie's coach here that one of the reasons, because this whole three-point defense problem, I mean, if, if you're a Wizards fan and you're listening, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, I know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. This sounds very familiar. My theory is that because that offense is so complicated and because you don't have, like, a ton of practice time, I mean, you can't just practice for five hours, you know, yeah. There's just more time of practice that's devoted to that offense and less time is devoted to defense. Whereas with most coaches, their offense is, you know, less of, about, like, you know, reads and counter-reads and more about this is where you have to be, this is what you have to do. And then once it comes from there, you and all your basketball experience should know how to make the right play. And then we practice those plays. But with Eddie, it seems like it's more like we're going to practice. If the defense does this, now let's spend you know, 20 minutes practicing what we're supposed to do. And then eventually you just all this time that's spent on practicing the offense and the defense just doesn't get enough practice time. It's not that he's a bad defensive mind. It's that he just doesn't, his players just don't get enough repetitions. And I'm curious if you're noticing – that a bit. I mean, obviously you're not in practices or anything, but does yeah. it seem like you know people are a step slow on every with everything because they're probably thinking probably haven't had enough practice of where they're supposed to be. I mean, does this does this theory make sense to you? Yeah, 
they're, they do seem slow, but I, like I said, I'm not going to blame that all on Jordan because they've been doing that forever. They've always been bad at perimeter defense, so I'm not going to... Yeah, well, um, this year, last year, the, uh, the Sixers allowed opponents to shoot uh, .367 from three-point line. This year, it's bumped up to .394, so that's a, that's well, a pretty significant increase right there. Yeah, I, see, I don't know. I, I can't really blame it on Eddie Jordan, like I said, because it just seems like they're, they're doing the same... Their problems are the same as last year, but maybe teams are just hitting open threes with more regularity. I don't know because yeah. I don't see that much of a difference. As like, mm-hmm. I don't think they've gotten as as bad as those numbers. I just yeah. think people are hitting threes more often, and it's only nine games, huh. so it's a small, small or however many games, eleven games, twelve, 12 games, twelve games, twelve. Right. No, I, I hear that. But if you look at that team, you see all the defensive athletes they get. You know, Iggy Dahl is, you know, one of the yeah, league's best defenders when he wants to be. I mean, Bran, when he was healthy, was a great defensive player. You know, Sam Dallinger blocks a lot of shots. And you, and you wonder why that team is so poor defensively. And you think it's because while they may be good on the ball, off the ball, they're really struggling? And part of it, uh, if I jump in, is that they could, it's just this lack of aggression. I mean, we talked about them shooting, one, shooting more jump shots earlier. Now their offensive rebound percentage is down from 33 last year to 26% this year, so they're getting less offensive rebounds. So maybe it's like their their lack of aggression on offense leads to, to long rebounds and the other team gets more opportunities in transition, where in the past when you know the 76ers have had a chance when the ball goes through the net, they can set up maybe that press defense or set up their half-court defense better. They're just not getting a chance to do so now while – is giving up so many offensive opportunities to the other team. Yeah, and going back to the Andre Miller thing, I think you guys asked what what we missed from Andre Miller, and I think the biggest thing is the leadership. Because Andre Iguodala tries to be a leader, but I don't think he, he's Andre Miller. He, yeah. he doesn't have leadership qualities that Andre Miller did. So I think that's, uh, that's one of the biggest things. Andre Iguodala would be a great uh, – he'd be a great second banana to somebody. Like, if he was on a team with Brandon Roy or somebody like Dwayne Wade or somebody like that, I think yeah. he, would be, he would reach his full potential. But he's just not a number one. That's his problem. Right. He's not paid like a number one either. I mean, he's got a hefty contract, but it's not yeah. too terrible. I mean, I mean, I guess Philly was thinking that Elton Brand would be their number one. Yeah, that was the, that was the thinking there. I do have some good news now switching gears again, which is that, you know, for knowing Eddie Jordan pretty well, his teams usually start pretty slow. I mean, the Wizards were 4-9 in 2007, and they ended up being in first place in the East at the All-Star break. Like, so while you might sound really down, I think better days are on the way. They, they've, they've started bad the past two years, and last year I think they were 13-20 and 20 at one point. And that was when they turned the season around, when they had a huge, they had a real battle with the Spurs in San Antonio, and it ended up ending on a Tony Parker game winner. But that was the mm-hmm. first time all season that you said, I think this, the Sixers team can play with, with some of the good teams. And sure enough, they went on a huge run after that and ended up getting to 500 and going into the playoffs pretty strong and, and playing the Magic pretty well for the first couple games. 
Right. So I think, that, that series could have easily gone their way. Yeah, if Hito Turkley doesn't make that game winner, it's it's 3-1 Philly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I guess we, we, we spent all this time talking about the Sixers and not, enough, not much time talking about the game, but real quick, what do you think is the big key to Tuesday's game for Philly? For Philly, I think we need to make sure that we play some defense, number one. I think we need to grab like 75% of the defensive rebounds, and I think we need to – that's pretty much it. I think if they if they play good defense, I think they're going to be in, in the game because their defense leads to their offense with the transition stuff. And right. I, I think they feed off good defense, but I haven't seen it with the Eddie Jordan coach team yet. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, score prediction? Um, I'm going to go with 105-92 Wizards. Wow, pessimistic fan. Eddie <laughs> Jordan has zapped your confidence already. It's like you're Drew Holiday. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, like I said, like I've been saying, until I see something that I can hang my hat on, that I'm not going to get too excited and I'm not going to get too down when they lose to teams like Memphis like they did last night. Because, I mean, they haven't shown me anything with it. Well, maybe Philly can be something for the, the Wizards to hang their hat on because we are certainly going through uh, our own struggles right now. Yeah, yeah. I was about well, to say, the Wizards are 3-8, and eight, but Philly, Philly is at least 5-7. I know, but well, I think we have four wins, but I think we've beaten the Knicks once, the Nets twice, and the Bobcats won. So I see. So who have been an easy we, schedule? We lost to Boston by like thirty. We lost to Orlando by thirty. We lost to the Bulls. We lost to the Grizzlies. And we haven't. I don't think we've won by more than five points all year. So huh? Then the other team you guys beat was Milwaukee, because the other team you guys beat. Oh, okay. Well, at least they're good. They're all right. It's Brandon Jennings' first game, so. Yeah. Yes. Had a good time. All right, Jordan. Thanks so much for coming on, and we look forward to watching the new look 76ers on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be talking to you guys in, during the game, so. and <laughs> I'll see I'll see you in Vegas next year. Oh yeah, that's right. I'll Summer League. Fun. I'll be ready. To Summer play. League again. Okay. All right, Take care, Jordan. Thanks, thanks, thanks for coming. All right. Appreciate it. All right, we'll be, we're going to wrap the show up in a second. Take care. We'll be okay. right back. yet another episode of the Dagger Report. Thanks to Jake Whitaker from Bolts Forever and Jordan Sands from Liberty Ballers for coming on the show. And, you know, Kyle, 3-9, and nine, does this turn to 4-9 and nine tomorrow night against the Philadelphia 76ers? Mike, uh, I almost hate to do it, but um, it's like Eddie Jordan couldn't be coming in town at a worse time. I think he's almost like a distraction in himself, so guys want to play good against him, you know, from Arenas to Butler to, to Haywood. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate to pick against the Wizards, but I hope they prove me wrong. I'm going to go 
76ers 102, Wizards 97. Alright, well, I think that this cannot have come at a better time because just like the Wizards, the 76ers are struggling to figure out their identity. And now the good news for Philly is that Elton Brand has played a lot better recently, but I still think that this is exactly what the Wizards need, a team that's also kind of in flux. A Philly team that's 5-8, and eight, but there have not been very many good teams. I'm going to go optimistic. I say Wizards 107, Sixers 96. Hey, well, I'll hope for your, I'll hope for your score, sir. <laughs> we'll see. I'm kind of 0 for 2 this I'm thinking I'm 0 for 2 this year. So I predicted that we'd lose to Dallas. I predicted we'd beat uh, Detroit. So, yeah. And I predicted we'd beat Cleveland, too. So 0 for 3. Let's hope I get off the schneid. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Remind you, you can subscribe to us on iTunes by searching The Dagger Report. Um, And you can always check us out uh, on Bolts Forever and Truth About It. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.